Hi, my name's Ethan. Some of you may know me, but a lot of you may not. But that's okay, because you're going to learn a lot about me over the next two hours. Valerie had this incredible idea where she and I talk about things that are can potentially be uncomfortable uh, for most people in their daily lives. Things that are very important to her and very important to me. And as a result, there could be some things on this episode that are triggering. So I just wanted to come on really quick before we get started with today's episode and give a massive trigger warning for this entire episode. If there's anything that hits you or makes you feel uncomfortable, please do what you need to do to make sure that you are healthy and safe. I appreciate you spending time with us today. Let's get started. What's up, Ethan? What is going on? How are you? You. I'm What's good. Up? As you can as you can see right now, I'm getting I'm getting a sunburn through my car window. You know what's strange? You know what's really strange? Starting a podcast after we've already been talking for like two hours. <laughs> That's so awkward, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. Alright. So now that we've broken the ice. What what are we so talking about? So we're gonna today? talk well, we both have bipolar disorder, and I'm I'm undiagnosed. I feel like that's noteworthy. That is noteworthy. You're right. Okay, I'm diagnosed. You're undiagnosed. I'm slightly medicated. You're not medicated. Correct. Correct. Okay, but we both also have dealt with suicidal thoughts. Correct. Suicide attempts. Correct. And we both feel that it's something that is not talked about and needs to be talked about. Absolutely. But I want to kind of have you give a little introduction because basically my podcast has been, you know, weight loss related and that is a part of your life as well. So I want you to give a little background intro about yourself. So as you said, I've been dealing with uh, undiagnosed bipolar disorder and uh, mood disorders my entire life, uh, depression being one of those as it comes with bipolar disorder. You have your highs and your lows. Um, and as a result of my undiagnosed bipolar disorder and just ignorance of, of what was going on in my life, um, I ended up at one point being close to 700 pounds. Um, which I have been dieting and exercising for the past decade, literally the past 10 years. Uh, I've been going through this process of dieting and exercising, um, which has been full of ups and downs and ups and downs. Uh, and I still have, you know, I still have more to lose and more to go, but uh, I have lost, ooh, I don't know what I weighed in this morning at, uh, what with everything being shut down, I've gained some weight, but I've lost somewhere around 300 pounds over the past 10 years. Now, I did some research earlier about just weight discrimination and the increase in depression in people and found that people who are overweight are 2.7 times more likely to be depressed, therefore, which then leads them to be more suicidal. Um, do you feel that your weight has played a factor in, in all that? Yes and yes. So 
I think obviously uh, when when you are morbidly obese or extremely obese, uh, as I was, like that's always going to play a factor on your mind. Uh, but also for me, what I've learned over the past 10 years and the process of, of learning myself more uh, and figuring out what's been going on is I've, I've realized that um, the opposite is also true. And what I mean by that is my weight was a result of my mental instability and my, my mental health, my poor mental health. Uh, so yes, my weight would cause depression, uh, in, in the depression that everyone uh, experiences, you know, you'll, you loved one dies or your dog dies or you break up, uh, and you get depressed, but then there is a, and you can attest to this as well. There's a different level of depression. When you talk about clinical depression, when you talk about bipolar depression, uh, so, uh, the bipolar depression caused the weight, uh, but the weight would also cause depression. So it was, um, yeah, I, I was getting attacked on, on both ends by myself. I know for me, um, not dealing with the emotional trauma of sexual abuse, I, from 2006, when it happened to 2010-ish, I gained 130 pounds in about three and a half years because mm -hmm. I no longer wanted to be attracted to, like, I didn't want men to find me attractive. And I thought yeah. that if I gained weight, people wouldn't like me. I wasn't worthy of love. A lot of these like negative thoughts had come, come out of the weight gain. But a lot of that was, I mean, that all started by the emotional trauma of me not dealing with my shit. And so right. I, I never wanted to be like, oh, well, I'm depressed because I'm fat. Like, that wasn't it. There was underlying causes, underlying reasons that got me to comfort myself with food. That got me to not have motivation or energy to work out or do anything. Like, I was just, I was a shell of a person who dealt with mm -hmm. a lot of shit, but then didn't deal with the shit and then ended up at nearly 300 pounds. See, and I've talked a lot 24 about, years old. Mm, I've talked a lot about how I believe that, at least for me, but also it sounds like for you, my weight was a symptom of the problem, uh, which uh, if there's anyone that's listening that is not uh, in the wonderful state uh, or wonderful country of America, uh, you may not know that the American healthcare system is to, is to treat the symptom and not the problem. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people, we were talking about The Biggest Loser, uh, the original Biggest Loser. I haven't watched the new, uh, the new season uh, or the new reinstallment, but the original Biggest Loser was treating the symptom and not the problem. So you have your statistics of the majority of the contestants gaining it all back plus some. Um, so I, I, I'm a huge proponent in the the idea that the weight is a symptom of a problem, and until you figure out the problem, um, the weight kind of it kind of still it stays there, uh, which. I brought up that I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been dieting and exercising for 10 years. And the conversations I've had in the past were, well, don't you think you've lost all the weight a lot faster than 10 years? Because I still have about 100 pounds to lose, give or take. And that question, I get that question more often than not. You've been doing this for 10 years. Why are you still 100 pounds overweight? You know, um, And that's, that's my answer. I'm still working on the underlying issues. There are still underlying issues that I haven't figured out and I haven't worked through um, so yeah, I could have lost the weight like that, but I would have gained it right back because there are underlying issues that I need to attack first. 
I know that I think the most recent statistic says there's what some 800,000 suicides a year right now. Uh, from 2017, it's 800,000 suicides per year. I have not been able to. I actually looked before we started talking, uh, and while we were talking before we were recording, I can't find anything from 2017 or newer. All these yeah, statistics same here. are from same 2017. Here. Uh, so yeah, according to the statistics from 2017, it's 800,000 suicides per year. And see, my my like mind wants to know. Obviously, like they say, you know, it's the second leading cause of death among people ages 15 to 29. Mm-hmm. I want to know out of how out of out of those 800,000 people, how many were overweight? How, mm-hmm. I mean, but obviously, well, and I mean, they classify overweight by the BMI calculator, and we can just fucking throw that shit out the window because that doesn't mean nothing to anybody ever. Right. I call it the bullshit measurement index, but. <laughs> How many of those people, you know, sought out therapy? How many of those people were on medication? How many of those people had a clinical diagnosis like BPD or mood disorders or things like that? Like, I want to know the nitty gritty and it's, you can't find that information. So that lack of information frustrates me. There was, uh, who was I watching? It's someone that's uh, Roma Army on TikTok. Uh, She's also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, but she was talking about how she was looking up statistics for something similar, um, and Google was basically porting her to. Uh, it was uh, she was talking about the statistics of correctly. Don't quote me on this. If I remember correctly, she was talking about the s- statistics of males uh, being the victims in uh, rape cases, and she said that every time that she tried to research it, Google would push her towards uh, females being the victim of rape cases. Like, so in the same sense, like, I can't find any of that information. Like, I've looked, I haven't looked as deep uh, and at all those things that you're looking at, but I've looked at some specific uh, uh, statistics, looked for some specific statistics, and I can't find them. Like, it's very, it's very, uh, Google search seems to be very shallow when it comes to information like that. When I remember, I think you said earlier today that men are four times more likely to commit suicide than women. Well, yeah, it's out of those 800, like four, four times, it was four times more men than women. Now, you and Willie and Jack did a podcast recently about, about men and feelings and therapy and things like that and how it's frowned upon. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Men and emotions. That was probably, so that was, uh, Willie, as he does, just randomly added me to an Instagram chat group with Jack and I had no idea who Jack was. I had never talked to him before. Um, and Willie was like, yo fellas, I got this idea for a podcast, a round table podcast. Cause you know, he does his dumpster fire, which they're not meant to be constructive or to get anything done. But he was like, I've got this idea for a round table podcast that I think was really, really important. And you two are the first people that I thought of, which first of all, I was super honored that I was the person that he thought of. Um, he was like, I want to talk about men and emotions because that's something that, that we just don't talk about. Like men just don't talk about emotions, good, bad, or ugly. Uh, you know, we are still dealing with um, the stigma of men aren't supposed to have emotion. Um, that's still a real thing in the world. Uh, we're just supposed to uh, be angry or or happy, and that's it. Um, so, and I did this thing where, like, because I was like, maybe I should get to know Jack, should have a conversation with Jack. 
And I decided uh, before the podcast started, I was like, you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to talk to Jack at all. I want this to be like, hey, I'm meeting you for the first time. Let's talk about this kind of stuff because I think that practice is really important to be vulnerable with someone that you don't know. I know Willie. I know Willie really, really well, and Willie Willie knows me really well. But to be vulnerable with someone that I don't know is still strange for me. It's still something that I suffer with. So I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk to Jack at all. I want to be completely vulnerable with this guy that I don't know. And it turns out that Jack and I, like we are cut from the same cloth. Like we have some of the same exact ideas, um, the same approach. But anyways, we got talking about how men just in society, uh, and this is, this is a result of the generation before us and the generation before them, how, you know, men are not supposed to show emotion and how detrimental that can actually be to the human race. I mean, we're sitting here talking about the statistics of suicide and how four times, uh, four times more suicides are, are from men. Um, yet we're told we're not supposed to talk about that. Like that blows my mind. Obviously there's a problem and obviously it needs to be talked about. So. I think it's important, like for me. So, uh, February of last year is when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder And it took me going through my separation and starting to feel this like wave of depression come over me in January, like with the new year, like I spent New Year's Day for 2019 on my couch with two big ass bottles of wine and my Mm -hmm. dog watching the ball drop and just being so depressed that like, this isn't how my life is supposed to be. I'm supposed to be with my ex-husband. I'm supposed to be with him. We're supposed to be together everything's supposed to be good. We're supposed to start 2019 on a fresh start. We were actually supposed to start in vitro fertilization in February of 2019. I had appointments set up every, my life was planned and a wrench got thrown in a few months prior to that. And it was just like, this isn't how my life is supposed to be. I'm pissed off. I'm, I'm just going to just drink myself into oblivion and fuck everybody else and fuck what everybody else thinks. And I finally was talking to my best friend, Melissa, and I was like, I've got to do something. Cause like, this isn't healthy for me. Being in this mental state is not good for me. I need to do something. And she was like, go to a therapist. And I remember when I was little, my parents divorced when I was eight, we went to like family counseling. And every time either my mom or my dad would walk out, like neither of them could get through a full session with the counselor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone would start yelling and screaming and blame each other. Like it was never constructive ever. And so that was my, like my first, my first day in therapy, I sat there like this like with my knee up on the chair like this, I sat there with my arms crossed and I was just very like reluctant to be there. And she looked at me and she's like, why are you here? And I'm like, cause I have, I'm angry and I'm depressed and I'm pissed off and I'm X, Y, and Z. And she was like, do you want to uncross your arms? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, no, I don't want to uncross my arms like this. I'm comfortable. Damn it. And then as soon as I like, I noticed as the sessions went on, my arms would be uncrossed and then mm-hmm. I'd bring my knee down and then I'd get more relaxed. And I was just like, this therapy shit might actually be working. Yeah. And when she, when she told me, she said, Valerie, I think, I know you have depression. Like that's, that's prevalent, but I'm, I'm, I think you're bipolar. And I was like, get the, f-. my stepsister is bipolar and she is crazy, like certifiably mental hospital crazy so for me I was like no you're wrong and I walked out of that fucking appointment right walked out and I came back like four days later and I sat down on the couch and I was just like 
I, I turned, I turned off my cell phone. I uh, disconnected all the lights from my house. I literally lived in darkness because I wasn't working at the time. I had lost my job actually a week before my marriage had ended. Um, and I was like, I turned my, I turned everything off for like three days. I didn't talk to anybody. I was like, that's not normal behavior for me. So like, will you tell me more about this BPD? Like I, I admitted defeat right there, like on her couch. Cause literally she yeah. has a couch in her, her office. And I was just like, I don't know how to do this on my own. And yeah. so, but it took, that was like months of like, or not months, that was weeks of going to therapy multiple times a week to finally be like, okay, I do have these issues. And I think admitting it, admitting it, getting the diagnosis and admitting it to yourself is huge. But I also think that you have to be open to the, to the emotions of it all, because for so long, like I never dealt with anything. I never dealt with my emotions. And it wasn't that I wasn't taught because I was, I was taught how to express myself but I let my trauma of my past bring me into the shell of a person. Like here I was, my marriage was over. I didn't want to accept it. Um, it was my first birthday without him in 10 years in April of last year. Then came his birthday. I'm going through time hop that app on your phone, you know, that shows you all your old posts. Oh, that's the worst thing in the world. So every year on his birthday, I would post photos of us. Like yeah. I remember for his 28th birthday, I posted 28 photos of us in a little like collage. Right. Yeah. 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 And I remember scrolling through that day and I'm just like, I'm not going to make a post for Matt's birthday. Like I, I'm not going to, because we're not together. He's, he's actually with somebody else. And, and I, it's fucking weird. Like from 2010 yeah. to 2018, I made a post every year. And even before that I'd make posts and we weren't even together. We were just friends. And that was, that was my low point. That was my, that was my low point that led to a suicide attempt that led to a 72 hour psych hold. And I was medicated at the time that this happened. I was taking my meds every fucking day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when you have these external factors, like this process is learning about like how to cope with that. And I, I still didn't know how, and I feel like I still to this day, like am learning about it. But seeking the help was my first step. And I feel like a lot of people are afraid to confront those demons. They're afraid to confront that under, you talk about the underlying root, the underlying issue. Right. They're afraid to get into that. I have a friend who's had a lot of trauma and I'm telling her, I'm like, you should go to therapy and, you know, open up that file box, take them out one by one and deal with them. And she's like, mm -hmm. I can't, Right. I can't do it. She's like, that, that box is locked. That key is thrown away in the ocean, hundred miles away. Like there's no way I can do it. And I'm like, then you're never going to heal. You're never right. going to be happy. You're never going to get to a point where you can love yourself. Look in the mirror and truly love yourself. I'm not there yet. And I've been in therapy for over a year now. That's right. my goal with therapy is to be able to look into a mirror. Honestly, like this is going to sound kind of silly, but stand in a mirror, 100% naked, no makeup on my hair, a fucking mess. Like it usually is like it is right now. And just love what I see and love who I am as a person and love everything about myself. Like that is my goal. People who deal with depression and suicidal thoughts and anger and are bipolar and all these things, like I feel like you're an onion and you have to peel back those layers. And if you're not willing to do that, nothing in your life is going to work. Like we just had a conversation before we started recording 
And I swear to God, for those of you listening, Ethan's a damn therapist and he doesn't know it. <laughs> um, like until I deal with X, Y, and Z, like my end result's never going to happen. And like you and I right. kind of talked about a plan and I'm going to have to put a lot of these things into practice because I'm still very broken. I still have a lot of shit to, to go through and, and things to figure out and decisions to make. And the biggest thing is like confronting that problem and, and recognizing it and moving, moving forward. And you have two paths to take, right? You can make a plan and move forward, or you can make a plan and stay where you are. Like, but you have to do something. And I feel like people who don't want to, I don't want to say don't want to, but choose not to deal with the underlying issues, just bring themselves down further and further. And I feel like that's why the suicide rate is so high. I feel like that's why so many people think that their life is not worthy of living because they don't confront things. Now, whether that's a lack of resources or a lack of finances in order to do it, or a lack of just like want or any like motivating factors, like my best friend told me to go to therapy and I went. Right. Had I tried to go to therapy when I was still married and deal with my issues then, it would not have worked. Right. Yeah. It's also it also comes down to timing. Um, so one of the one of the things that you said was that uh, when you were diagnosed bipolar disorder, you were you were taken aback and you were uh, almost disgusted because your previous experience with someone else that you know having bipolar disorder, which I think is really really important. Um, the 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 camel that broke the or the straw that broke the camel's back for me was actually the TV show Shameless, and uh, I've talked about this a little bit, but uh, one yeah I love that show too. One of the characters uh, has bipolar disorder, and the actor and the writers portrayed it so incredibly well. Uh, I was I was watching it and I went oh okay that that's me like that's me. And then I started doing some heavy research into bipolar disorder. And the more I learned about it, the more I was like, yeah, this is me. Like, check that box, check that box, check that box. But there are also people that have bipolar disorder that also have different and and other underlying mental illnesses. So you have these people that that like you, for example, at first you rejected this idea that you have bipolar disorder because because the example that you had of it, when in reality, the negative example of what bipolar looked like to you was probably because of more than just bipolar disorder. Um, oh, yeah. There, there are a lot of people that are living normal lives with bipolar disorder. Um, so that's, you know, that's, I think that's really, really important to highlight and bring up. And there's something else that you said that I think is really, really important for people to, to pay attention to revisiting traumatic moments in your life, working through them and healing those moments, uh, is going to be traumatizing. Like it just is, there is no, uh, the, the things that I've had to work through personally, the things that you've had to work through personally to, like you said, open that file cabinet, uh, that, that mind palace, if we want to make a Sherlock Holmes reference, um, going back into those memories and and reliving those times to work through them and not let them control you anymore is traumatizing like it's not easy it's not easy so i think one of the big reasons uh to add on to what you were saying one of the big reasons that suicide is so high is it because people are just scared it's terrifying it is so 
emotionally and mentally draining to relive those things so you can move on. But people don't realize because they're stuck in the past that until you get past those, like until you get past those traumas, first of all, life is so much beautiful on the, on the other side of that. Like it just really, really is to not be a victim anymore of, of those things uh, is so relieving and so beautiful. Uh, but also there's, well, there's that. So I think there are a lot of people that, uh, this is a conversation I was having with someone that I know a while ago who was victimized by uh, his wife and by a lot of people. Uh, I, I point blank asked him a question. I looked him in the eye and I said, do you know how not to be a victim? And he said, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I think there are so many people that don't know how not to be a victim to their past, to the people that have victimized them, and to themselves. A lot of people, one of the questions I asked you is, do you know how to have a healthy relationship with yourself? A lot of people, first of all, don't. But second of all, don't know how not to be a victim to themselves. You know, so I think all of all of these things, all the things that you've mentioned, the things that I've mentioned, are all a part of why the suicide rate is so absurdly high. Well, and for me, one of the things that Dr. M had me do was, you know, she asked how I cope with emotion and how I, how I release. And of course the gym has been huge for me, right? Like going to the gym, doing, whether it's lifting or heavy cardio or running, running is my stress relief. And currently not being able to run has been hard, but that's due to my hip, but in the elevation change, like moving from California to Nevada, three, four, almost four years ago now, it took me a good year and a half for my lungs to acclimate. Plus I was heavier, like I couldn't run, um, but not being able to do it now because the hip is really, is really damaging. So I try to find other ways, but for me, journaling has always been one thing. And she said, well, do you, do you keep your journals? What do you do with them? And I was like, she's like a lot of people, you know, will keep, keep say, keep a journal for a year. And at the end of the year, they burn it. I'm like, that's yeah. kind of weird. I, I keep everything. And so she had me bring in journals from 2006. Cause I've literally, I've always journaled always. That's wild. Okay, cool. So she had me off to find some for you. She had me, you know, bring in journals from 2006. So my sexual assault happened in 2006 and she said, did you journal about it? And I said, of course I did. And so I, I, I sat there and she read me my journal entry. Okay. Yeah. From literally two days after the assault happened. And it was almost like an out-of-body experience, but I, I just cried. I, I, I cried, but I didn't cry out of anger. I cried out of sadness from the story that was being told. But then at the end of the, at the end of the session, you. I was like, that's me. Yeah. That's my story. That is. Yeah. So I always encourage people like to write about everything. And one thing that I try to do now, I, I don't journal as much as I used to. I probably journal twice a week now, but I try to start every journal entry off with five positives or five like feel good things mm-hmm. before I get into any negative. Because for me, getting out a lot of my negative is getting it out on paper and just expressing it that way. Because I yeah. feel like I either can't express it to someone in my life or I don't want to, maybe I'm not ready to. But I noticed there was a trend in my journal entries, like everything was bad everything was bad. Like everything was negative and bad. And, and it's good to get that stuff out. But then like reading it back later, I'm like, am I that sad all the time? Am I that like depressed all the time? Am I that? And I know that like you use the term going dark, like I use the term going low when I'm low, like I don't journal at all. I don't. And that's probably the time that I should journal the most to help bring myself out of that like darkness. 
And I notice that when I'm high, I literally spend money like it's water. Water. So uh, that's actually really interesting. Do you know if you are bipolar one or bipolar two? I actually don't know. I don't okay. think we've ever gone into that. No. Let's do this. This is going to be really interesting. Um, so uh, there are a couple of differences between bipolar one and bipolar two. Uh, but in both of them, in both cases, there's actually a third one, uh, which kind of looks like bipolar disorder, but doesn't fit a lot of the criteria. It's weird. Um, and the only reason I know this is because I did an episode about bipolar disorder. Um, but in both in both instances, one of the uh, reoccurring habits on highs on manic uh, stages is to spend money. So, like, I do that, too. Uh, so, bipolar 1. Uh, Let's see. Uh, behaviors look like increased risky behaviors such as irresponsible spending or doing drugs. An increase in energy levels. Racing thoughts happier than usual. Uh, increased talkativeness. Grandiosity. Hallucinations. Psychotic episodes. Poor impulse control. Uh, That's so, me on a freaking Tuesday, man. Right. However, <laughs> there are other signs that are important to know that will help differentiate the two disorders. For example, those with bipolar one should also have at least three of the following symptoms, irritable or aggressive, lack of need for sleep, higher than normal self-esteem, lack of attention inability to concentrate or make decisions so that's bipolar one and as long as you have three of those that's kind of so let's look at bipolar two uh, da, 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 da. some of these symptoms of hypomania so hypomania is uh, described as a lesser state of mania uh, it lasts uh, for less time and is less aggressive uh, if I remember correctly I am not disclaimer I am not a doctor so I'm literally just reading this off of the interwebs. Uh, so some of the symptoms of hypomania include bad decision-making, less impulse control, more talkative than usual, average ability to perform at work and home life, uh, fairly good connection with uh, reality, feeling more creative and productive than usual, being in a good mood for no reason. So bipolar one and bipolar two look very, 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 very similar. Um, Signs of depression with bipolar dis, uh, two, uh, feeling sad uh, or hopeless for more than two weeks. So the big differentiation between bipolar one and bipolar two is the time length. It's the timeline. So feeling sad or hopeless for more than two weeks, forgetfulness, inability to concentrate, trouble making decisions, sleeping more than usual, but still exhausted, less energy than normal, weight gain or loss, eating more or less than usual, not showing interest in typical enjoyed activities, isolating yourself, feeling like you're moving or and thinking slower than usual, thoughts of suicide, known uh, also known as ideation. So I know from the research that I've done, I am bipolar two. Now, I feel like I fall into both categories. Is that normal? Is that well, nothing is normal in our lives, but yeah, like, cause I no, you're reading off one and two, and I'm like. It, all of the above? Like how? So one I of the, one of the things. Of one of the, one of the things of note, though, is if you notice on bipolar one, uh, the depressive states um, have less of. Here, let's go back. Uh, 
So bipolar one is more so you have your hallucinations, your psychotic episodes, poor impulse control, uh, grandiosity, which kind of also goes along with hallucinations, uh, grandiose sense of self. Um, whereas bipolar two, uh, for me, uh, let me explain where I stand and it might make a little more sense to you because I also tick a lot of both of those boxes, like grandiose sense of self. I've never had hallucinations, uh, but I get super talkative when I'm manic. I've, I don't want to say, I don't think I've had psychotic episodes, but I may have poor impulse control. That's a huge one. I spend, uh, a lot of money when I'm manic. Cause I'll do, uh, I'll, I'll build a sound booth in my closet, uh, for example. Um, but I know I'm bipolar too, because of very important, uh, let's see, weight gain or loss, loss, uh, less energy than normal, sleeping more than usual, but still exhausted. Uh, Friday and Saturday, uh, my boss gave us uh, Friday off just because, uh, just as a, like a way of saying thank you. We just got a payday off. I slept all day. I slept all day Saturday. I got like one or two things done. Um, not saying that I'm in a depressive state, but like my life right now is kind of blah because I can't go to the gym. Uh, so, so anyone that's listening that knows me, don't you have nothing to be worried about. Uh, Fine. Yeah. Calm Not down. showing. <laughs> yeah, Willie, love you, buddy. Not showing interest in typical enjoyed activities. Isolating yourself. Uh, feel like you're moving and thinking slower than usual. Uh, all of those things. Uh, are part of bipolar two that are not specifically or not technically part of bipolar one. So that's where I stand. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure I have bipolar one, um, or I'm sorry, bipolar two because of those boxes that I've ticked off. Also thoughts of suicide, also known as ideation. Um, yeah. you know, so that's, I mean, and that's uh, yeah. obviously you want to talk to a professional. I'm just a dude that's reading an article off the interwebs. So take that for what it is. <laughs> well I think so I know for me and we, we we touched on this earlier but like my weight has made me depressed but the weight gain didn't happen because of the depression the weight gain happened because of the trauma that I never dealt with dealing with the trauma now I mean 2019 technically from the start of the year to the end of the year I lost eight pounds I know that obviously I'm a lot smaller than I used to be. I have less weight to lose now. So the weight's going to come off slower and it's going to be harder to lose. Like they always say, you know, the last 15 pounds are the most stubborn, which is where I'm at um, in terms of my hundred pound weight loss goal. But now I'm thinking I want to go a little beyond that. I've just haven't really, I don't have like a number in mind. Um, but for me, working out, and I'm sure you feel this way too, gives you a sense of like being in control of your emotions and like feeling more centered and, and being able to, I feel like when I don't get to work out for whatever reason, whether it's because the gym is are currently closed now or because I don't have the time Coronavirus. or whatever, fucking COVID-19. God damn it. <laughs> Just put a lime in it. Um, I don't even drink Corona. It's garbage. It, it, when, when I was young, I was a Corona kid. Cause like it was cheap beer, but I, I don't drink it now. I'm more of a wino now anyway, but being that I can't, like, I don't have that, like, release, that, like, endorphin release, mm -hmm. I feel like all of this, like, pent up aggression, like, I'm more mad now, and I mean, a lot of that could be just other circumstances in my life that we talked about earlier, but, um, 
I'm not sleeping as well. I'm definitely not eating as well. Um, my thoughts have been more like scattered than usual. And you touched on when you're talking about the bipolar two stuff, like the slowed thinking. I sometimes get that way at work and I work in a very fast paced diagnostic center. Like I have to be on my shit all the time. When I start to feel that way, I'm like, I'm letting my entire team down. And then it's just like this snowball of like thoughts. But for me, like if I don't, if I, I know, I know what to do now. It, it's been over a year since my diagnosis. I know what to do now in order to like bring myself back up if I'm feeling like I'm falling down. And a lot of those things that I do, I can't do right now. And so I'm conflicted with just like, I know what I need to do and I want to do it. I just can't. And so you feel like your, your back's against a wall. Like, I don't know if you feel that way. Cause I know the gym's really big for you and like your mental health. But like, how are you feeling with not being able to go to a gym and like do your mirror so, thing? <laughs> this is uh, my, my, my gym mirror selfie thing. Uh, yeah. the thing that I'm going to be, yeah. I'm going to be known for, it's going to be on my headstone. Um, so this is actually, this is actually really, really interesting that you bring this up. So, uh, two months before this whole thing started and Jim shut down, I quietly in the background started this experiment because this is just what I do. Um, I love to experiment on myself, even though sometimes it can get dangerous. Uh, so uh, as we talked about, I've done keto for four years. I've done carnivore for like a year and a half, very strict carnivore. So two months before this whole thing started, I decided to create the perfect storm of what it would look like if I was depressed. Now, when I'm depressed, I don't go to the gym. I don't eat right. I just don't care about basically anything. Um, and I've talked, I talked to a couple of my, my, I talked to my dad about it, talked to my brother about it, talked to my, my, I call him my brother. He's my best friend in the whole world. My nephew is his kid. Like he's not, we're not blood, but he's my brother. So I talked to his mom about it. Who I also call mom. Um, like she's my family. They're my family. Semantics. So I talked to my mom about it. Um, and they were all kind of like, you know, this feels like a really bad idea. So I, I, I started this experiment in the background quietly, didn't tell anyone. And it, well, I told a couple people on Instagram. But I basically created this perfect storm of what it would look like if I was if I'd gone dark. Uh, I stopped going to the gym. I stopped eating keto. I stopped eating carnivore. Uh, I reintroduced because uh, I wanted to do it in a controlled manner. I reintroduced complex carbohydrates. Uh, and this isn't going to make sense to a lot of people that are listening. Uh, but you can go uh, listen to my podcast. Basically, in a nutshell, I have this theory that uh, carbs and sugar or sugar specifically uh, has an adverse effect on bipolar disorder because it it's shown to create inflammation and inflammation is heavily tied to mental disorders. So I found in my experience that by cutting out sugar um, and carbs for the most part, it helps me normalize my mood swings. So I decided to throw everything that I've learned away and I reintroduced complex carbohydrates, didn't go to the gym. And I was sitting down with my dad one day and we were having this conversation. He was like, why? He was like, you figured out what works why are you doing the opposite? And I was like, here's the thing. As a recovering food addict, as I am, I weighed almost 700 pounds. There's going to come a time in my life where I'm going to go through some serious trauma. For example, I looked at him, and I go, you're going to die one of these days. Like it's inevitable. You are going to die. Um, I was like, as a recovering food addict, I know that in those moments I am going to, like, it's inevitable. I am going to go to food for comfort. 
That just is what it is. That's still a demon that I carry. That's still baggage that I carry. That's baggage that I'm going to carry for the rest of my life. I will always find comfort in food. I just will. So my plan and the way that I explained it to him is my plan is to rip away every safety net that I have so I can practice falling off of my diet and then getting back on. And the analogy that I use is a diving board. Uh, the, the, the diving board is my mental stability. And the closer I get to the edge of the diving board, the closer I get to being dark. And usually what happens, what, what it looks like when I go dark, uh, when I go low, as you call it, when I go to, to a depressive state, uh, is it looks like someone, and we've all seen it on like America's Home Funniest videos, someone walking out to the edge of the diving board, stumbling off and falling into the water. That's, that's the analogy that I use going dark because it gets to a point where I lose control and that, that moment of losing control is stumbling and falling off the diving board. And then you fall into the water, which is the darkness. You spend your time in the water and then you come up for air and you start, you start coming out of it. So that the analogy that I use for going dark that I have found that works really, really well is the diving board. So my goal in this experiment was to create the perfect storm of what it would look like and get as close as I could to the edge of the diving board without falling off to see if I could pull myself back from the edge of going dark. So started this two months before the gyms closed down, two months before the world shut down, right? And I did. I got really, really close. I got really close to the edge and brought myself back. And then I did it again. And I got really, really close to the edge and I brought myself back. And then the world stopped. The world just abruptly stopped. Everything stopped. Gyms were shut down. And I was right at the point where I was like, I'm going to go back to the gym. I'm stoked. Like, I didn't go to the gym for two months. I haven't been to the gym for like four freaking months. Um, and the world just shut down. So conveniently enough for me, thankfully enough for me, right before this whole shitstorm started, I developed the tools that I need to survive what's going on right now. Uh, so in a roundabout, long-winded way to answer your question, I miss going to the gym. I really, 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 really do. But as far as like my mental health and my stability goes, I'm solid. Like I'm solid. Uh, and uh, I, can, I can proudly say that the reason I do the experiments that I do on myself are for moments like this. Like had I not done what I did, I think I would be in a lot more trouble than I am right now. Yeah. I've, I don't know if I could rip away like my support system or like my, my coping mechanisms, my go-to, like, I don't know if I could do that. So I commend you for doing that because um, that takes balls, <laughs> takes guts. Like, and I, I should say that for anyone, anyone's listening that, that, that just thought to themselves, that sounds like a good idea. Like, unless you know yourself 100% and aren't willing to put up with your own bullshit excuses, don't do it. Like, don't do it. If the first thought in your mind is, oh, I could do that because then I can eat off diet, don't do it. You have to be so, in, excuse me, so incredibly aware of yourself because it is dangerous. It is very, very dangerous. I could have potentially put myself in a depressive state, which could lead to suicidal thoughts. Like, I always experience some kind of suicidal thoughts when I'm depressed. Uh, thankfully, I have my nephew, um, which I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I will never attempt suicide again because of my nephew. He's my external why. I've got my internal and external why. Um, but like, it's don't do it. 
I do not suggest doing what I've done. Anyways, sorry. Ethan is a undiagnosed professional, guys. Okay. <laughs> don't 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 do what he did. When, so do as when, I say, not as I do. Oh my God, now you sound like my mother. I sound like she my said father. Said that to me all the time growing up. When when you have like when you go dark and you now when you go dark, do you always have depressive thoughts or is it just sometimes? Suicidal thoughts or depressive thoughts? Sorry, suicidal thoughts. Wrong, wrong. Uh, yes, yes. And it's so, and I was hoping we'd bring this up because I wanted to, it's, what's really cool is I'm able to, for the first time, really compare someone that's diagnosed with bipolar disorder and, and my experience with bipolar disorder being undiagnosed. Because um, there's always that level of like questioning, like, oh, well, I'm not a trained professional. How do I know? But then we have conversations and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So to answer your question, yes. And one of the things that I want to talk about with you is what those look like, right? Because... Uh, in society still to this day, people that, and it's, I think, I feel like it's gotten a little better, but it also just could be because of the circle that we're in. Um, but people that commit suicide are looked at as weak, you know, oh, he was weak. Um, you know, he just wanted to give up on life. You know, he didn't care about, you know, the people around him didn't care about the people that, that, that he, or that loved him, so on and so forth. But I feel like People that don't experience the the suicidal thoughts that I'm about to talk about just aren't going to get it. Like I, I feel like there are going to be people that are, people that are listening to this, they're going to go, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, and actually, you you noted you mentioned this earlier before before we started recording um, ab- about kind of like the same experience. So it's not always. I feel like the stigma of suicidal thoughts is uh, everything in your life is going wrong. Uh, you're at a low. Um, super, super, super depressed. Uh, you feel like there's no way out of the situation you're in. And then you think, oh, well, I could just kill myself. For me, more often than not, and this is why it's really, really scary. More often than not, it's none of that. It's literally just walking along, going along my day and a random thought, a random thought that doesn't even feel like it's mine will pop into my head and I'll just think, oh, today might be a good day to kill myself. Like, I won't be sad. I won't be depressed. There won't be anything bad going on. I'll just randomly have this thought where my brain, like, almost short circuits. And I think that killing myself is a good idea. I don't know if you, I know that you said the thing about the car, but I don't know if you've experienced anything else like that. So for me, when I, when I talked to you about that earlier, so for, for those of you who obviously don't know this because we weren't recording then, um, I would drive home from work and my commute was anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. I was living in California in the Bay Area and I would come to get into my hometown. You come down this this hill and as you come down, the ocean is right there because I grew up in a beach town. It's called Pacifica, California. It's a beautiful town. Um, And I would come down this curve and it would it would curve a little to the left. And I just thought if I. And I would have this thought on a somewhat regular basis. And it wasn't because I had like a bad day or it wasn't because like I was depressed or sad or anything. It was literally just a thought that would come into my head. Like you said, if I didn't turn my car left and I just went straight. Yeah. Like what would for that no, be like? like? For, what would that for no look reason. Like? What, well, and, right. and the thing is, is so I would hit a guardrail depending upon how fast I was going. Cause the speed limit is like 55 through there. 
um, depending upon, and of course I drove faster because I'm from California and we don't follow speed limit laws. Um, would my car go over the edge? Would I end up going down this rocky ravine into the ocean? Like what would that look like? And it wasn't that I, I don't necessarily, see, I don't know if I've ever actually, like there have been times I've been very, very depressed and I've tried to commit suicide twice in my life. Oh, absolutely. Once, right. once when I was 19 and then once last year when I was 33. Um, but it was just like, I don't, I don't even, I don't know why that happens. Like I didn't know why that happened. And throughout my life, I would have these highs and lows and I never understood it. Once Dr. M gave me that diagnosis and I started to dive into what that actually looked like and what that was, had I known my entire life that I was bipolar, like so much more shit would have been easier to deal with. Right. I have that. And had I had the coping mechanisms I have now, like my mom's death would have been much easier on me. My sexual assault would have been easier on me. Like the things that I went through, most likely I still would have gone through, but they would have been fucking easier. Right. Like had I just sought out therapy in the beginning, like, you know, so you talked about earlier, like I've been on this journey for 10 years of of diet and weight loss and and things like that. And yeah, maybe I should have been at my goal weight years ago. I have felt that way a lot of times. I went from 285 all the way down to 210 back up to 250, yep. all the way down to 190, yep. back up to 270. Yep. Now, and it's like, I am broken. There's something wrong. Like, why does this keep happening? Because you never dealt with your underlying shit. If you deal with your underlying shit from the get-go, your right. first attempt at weight loss will be successful. Like, uh-huh. I, this is the most successful I've ever been in the, in these three plus, three plus years because I finally decided to tackle a lot of that stuff and tackle the mental side and tackle my relationship with food. And then last year started tackling all these emotional trauma pieces that I never dealt with. And it's like, it's like a coming to Jesus fucking light bulb on aha moment. Like no shit, Valerie, no shit. Yeah. So like, and and you mentioned, it's almost frustrating. Like it's almost frustrating to be like, I went through all, I didn't need to go through all this shit, but at the same time, like I was talking to Kayla earlier, I'm glad I went through all that shit. I'm glad this is my third. Kayla McKenna. McKenna. Yeah. I'm glad that I went through all that. Hold on, I got I got a thing I got to do because I've done it every podcast. Shout out to Kayla McKenna because I love her and I adore her and she's an amazing human being. Sorry, continue. <laughs> but like I I was like I'm glad that that's my story though, and I'm glad that I've gone through these ups and downs with my journey, and I'm glad I'm glad that I've I've seen I mean I've seen the scale go up, but I haven't seen it go up more than seven pounds in the last three years. That is huge for someone like me who gained 130 pounds in four years, who gained right. back 80 pounds in two years, like. Right. I've seen the scale go up seven pounds. Does it piss me off? Yes. But Daryl is teaching me to not let it piss me off. Right. And I'm keen on it. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned a couple of times, uh, and I really want to uh, jump onto it. You have your coping mechanisms. Now, mm-hmm. I also have my coping mechanisms. But do you have uh, one of the one of the tools that I've learned? One of the tools that I developed um, is uh, my red flags. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, the closer I get to the edge of the diving board, going back to the ana- the analogy that I was using, the more these red flags start showing up. Like, for example, one of my red flags is I don't go to the gym or my diet goes off or I let my hair grow out or uh, I let my, my little bit of facial hair that I can grow grow out. Um, <laughs> or also, for example, my room. I found that my room is a direct 
uh, reflection of my mental stability. Like the, the, the more cluttered or messier my room gets, the more cluttered and messy my, my mental health is. So first of all, do you have any red flags like that? I do. So mine is just like my kitchen table in my apartment. So my apartment is very small. One person can, it's a four person table, right? There's four chairs. It's up against the wall though. So literally one person can sit there. So it's, it's like the place, like I come home and my lunch bag, my back, my backpack purse go on there. I got other stuff. Exactly. It's literally just where everything collects. And when, and I, and I say this to people all the time. And I would, I say this to, I said this to my ex-husband. I say this to my boyfriend now, like when my apartment is cluttered, my anxiety goes up. Like he'll be like, you just worked 11 hours, sit the fuck down and relax. Like, what Mm -hmm. are you doing? And I'm like, I can't, I can't like the house needs to be vacuumed because we have two dogs. The dishes need to be done because there's like three bowls in the sink or whatever. Cause I'm really, I'm one of those, like, don't go to bed with dishes in the sink person. I learned that from my mom. It's really yeah. annoying and it yeah. pisses me off because I'll, I'll be like a bottle of wine in and trying to do dishes and it's a terrible, like, just go to sleep, Valerie. Like the dishes can wait till tomorrow. But when my apartment oh. is messy, I'm like, there's, I have to do it. There's stuff to do. And I don't know how to just relax and cal- and like, I don't know how to calm down. <laughs> yeah. Like I literally don't know how to do that. And so then I'm, and then I'm exhausted the next day. I'm cause I'm getting, you know, less sleep cause I'm busy doing shit. So I try to once a week now, usually on Sundays, cause it's like my kind of catch up day. Like Saturday will be like laundry and things like that. Sunday might be like the bedding laundry, but not like all the laundry. Um, but I try to on Sundays to just relax. Mm, that's and tough. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll take the dogs on like a long walk. So I still get my steps in Right. Um, for January. So January 1st. So from, from the time the first six weeks of Mitch and mine's relationship, I gained like eight pounds because we were going out to eat a lot. I was drinking alcohol. Like we were being really social, you know, the, the new relationship like stuff was happening. Yeah, the honeymoon phase. It was short lived. Um, <laughs> that stuff was happening. So like January 1st, I was like, no, 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 no. Like I was down to like 208. I'm back up to 215. This is not okay. So I hit the ground running. I restarted morning meltdown 100 which is the 100 workouts and 100 day program through Beachbody that I completed in 2019. And I was like, I'm going to hit my step goal every single day. And I did in January, except for two days. I did in February until the middle of February when my hip got so bad that I finally sought out a doctor and went, yeah. shit, like I've, I've really, I've really done something to this hip. And I took six weeks off. Like I didn't work out for, I didn't, I didn't do anything more than walk my dogs for six weeks. And I was miserable. Yep. miserable and then the gym started shutting down and now i'm even more miserable and i'm like this is stupid so your red flag was the the table the catch-all and then just My red like flag your, is the catch-all your table and, just, cluttered. It, and like like with two dogs i i have to vacuum probably three times a week just to like keep up with it <laughs> we have like have three dogs and like 20 cats i have a corgi she sheds like nobody <sighs> I love, oh. I love it, but she shed so much, but That's it's like, equivalent of like four dogs. Well, and not only that, but like, so right now I've been doing a lot of yoga workouts cause it's literally all I can do because this hip fucking hates me. And so if I'm on the ground, like I don't need to be inhaling dog hair in the middle right. of my work. Like that's not cool. So I've been vacuuming a lot, but it's just like when I, when I'm stressed, cleaning helps to like bring that down and no cleaning and running are like my coping mechanisms. 
and nobody understands that. And I'm like, like I've told Mitch, I'm like, just you sit on the couch. Why don't you play video games for an hour? Let me like clean the kitchen, like clean the baseboards, maybe run the vacuum. Like I just need to get this. Like if I have a stressful day at work, cause I work in a diagnostic center. I'm a receptionist. Patients yell at me all fucking day long for no reason. It's all your fault. Like your doctor didn't send your, your exam order over. They gave you a copy of it. You told my scheduler, you would hand carry it to your appointment. Here you are standing in front of me and it's at home and you live 30 minutes away and your appointments in 10 minutes. Like, what would you like me to do about that? Cause especially right now I can't call your doctor's office and get another copy of it. Cause everything is closed. For anyone that's never done customer service. Uh, cause I've done customer service for a really long time. And in a situation like that, it's going to be Valerie's fault. Every time. Even though it, it has nothing Even though I literally had nothing to do with that. I didn't schedule your appointment. I didn't talk to you on the phone. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever met you in your fucking life. But it's my fault. <laughs> so, okay, that was going to be the next question I asked you. Your coping mechanisms, obviously, one of them is working out. And you said running and then cleaning. Um, and journaling. And journaling. And right, that's a big one. Music. So music for me has been, okay, so in my freshman year of high school, my mom met my stepdad. So three months into my freshman year, we moved from Pacifica to Woodland, which is near Sacramento, like a hundred miles away, basically. So I was uprooted from everything I ever knew, brought into a town where I didn't know anybody. And I was taking Spanish in my high school. Well, then when I went to the new school, their Spanish class was 10 times more accelerated than my Spanish class. So I got in there one day and I was like, nope, not doing this. Not going to fail at this at all. So yeah, I went to my counselor. That would be, that would be no in Spanish. So I went to my counselor and was like, <laughs> I can't do this class. Like, I need a different elective. I'll take Spanish <laughs> sophomore year, right? So uh, she was like, well, you could do woodshop or choir. And I was like, well, woodshop I'm a girl. All the way. I'm a girl. And, like, sawdust is actually one of my allergens that, like, triggers my asthma. Is so, it really? Yes. That's horrible. I'm so sorry. It's so bad. And like, oh. so I was like, this? so I'll do choir. Like, this will just be fun. Like, I, I like music. I can kind of hum a tune, whatever. It'll be fun. I fell in love in the first two days of choir. And I did choir all four years of high school. And I realized, like, my love of singing and expressing myself in that way. And so. So when you say I, music, you don't mean listen to music. You mean singing. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Okay, because when you say music, the first thing I think of is, you know, laying back, putting headphones on and disappearing into the music, which I do on a, on a regular basis. But you mean singing. Yes. Loudly in the shower is typically where it happens when I'm uh, home by myself, because if other people are home, I get too embarrassed. But like, and so like Mitch, Mitch can sing. He goes and does um, live band karaoke two nights a week. Typically, well, when downtown was actually open. I love how I'm actually looking towards downtown as I'm saying these words. But um, so, like, when we first, like, that was one of the things that, like, brought us together was music. And so I've never gotten on stage with him. Um, I have done karaoke, like, at places. And actually, Daryl was saying that for Flying Pig, we would have to hit up a karaoke bar. And me and Emily and a few other people would have to get up and sing. And I told him he was absolutely crazy. Because for me... That means a whole level of vulnerability. Like we talked about the onion and peeling the layers. I can't peel that layer. Not yet. Not yet. And I say not yet because I would love to be able to get on stage and not feel self-conscious and just sing a song, whether I sing it well or not. Like I would love to be able to do that, but I don't think I'm at a place 
physically where I would feel comfortable doing it first of all, no matter what clothing I'm wearing, like I could wear all the shapewear in the world to make myself look smaller. But if I don't feel that way, if I don't feel yeah. that confident, it's not going to happen. Um, like he gets on stage and he doesn't give a shit what he sounds like, what he looks like, nothing. He just has a good time. And I'm like, I want that. Like, I want to be able to feel that way. I'm not there yet, but, um, it, it's something that makes me happy. It's something yeah. that brings me joy. It's something that de-stresses me. And that's one thing that I hope to gain on this, this journey of like, you know, figuring out who I am with my diagnosis and figuring out like who I am as a person and who I am outside of a, you know, 10 year relationship. Like that's like, I went to a karaoke bar down in Carson city. Um, I guess March of last year. And my friends dared me to get on stage and I had been on stage before, but mind you, I had never been on stage sober since high school. So whether it was under the influence of drugs and or alcohol, um, yeah, I never been. And that I got on stage sober and it was terrifying. My hands shaking. I was holding the mic with both hands like this because I was terrified that if I let my hands go, I would look like I had Parkinson's disease. (laughs) Like, I get that. I, I so, couldn't uh, do it. I physically couldn't do it. Favorite musical to sing? Like my favorite song to sing? No, your favorite musical. Rent. Rent. Okay, cool. So mine uh, would be a tie between Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera. Dude, you cannot go wrong with either one of those. Right, exactly. Well, and it's uh, funny. So, like, so I love country music, and a lot of people like bash on country and hate country. Uh, whatever apple user um <laughs> but but like for me like that's what I, so my mom was a bartender growing up and so when my parents divorced my mom had to get a different a, a second job so she worked at an insurance company during the day for farmers insurance and then she worked as a bartender at night so when it was a night to switch me with my mom and my dad um i would be at the bar with her while she was closing and i would just be sitting up on the bar like singing with the jukebox like that was my that was my first like and my mom told me, she's like, you can carry a tune. And I was like, what? Like, so like, and it's not that I lack like the, you know, the words of affirmation, the positivity, the positive feedback. Right. Um, I just like the joy that I get when I sing. And so for me, it's something that brings me joy. And that's literally what I've been trying to do this whole last year is to find the things that bring me joy, whether that's hiking or running or singing or journaling or being around friends, playing stupid games like Cards Against Humanity, or just laughing or video chatting with a friend for two hours just because you can, like, yeah, things like that. Like, because when it comes down to it, my mental health means more to me than anything, and I've had to let go of people that bring that down. And I think that that's huge to be able to recognize that when people are toxic to your life and be able to cut them out. That is a hard thing for me to do. I'm that person that like is still friends with her ex-boyfriend from high school just because like we didn't end badly. We just ended, you know, I've, I've learned that over the years and, and this has been with practice that the more I do it, the easier it gets when, <clears throat> excuse me, when uh, it took me a long time to get here, but my mental health is like number one, numero uno is the most important thing in my life. So I've learned that, the uncomfort of cutting people off and getting rid of people, getting blocking people, if you will, to use the Instagram terminology, getting, getting toxic people out of your life or out of my life 
the uncomfort of doing that uh, is far less important, right? Because usually the uncomfort the the uncomfort comes from the concern of of how they're going to perceive us or how it's going to affect their feelings, right? When you, when you mm-hmm. cut someone off, right? So you're like, I don't want to do that because you know it might hurt their feelings or they might look at me uh, in a bad way. So I've learned over the years that like I don't I don't care. I don't, and that sounds really cold and really harsh, but like my mental health is number one. So, um, if, if their toxicity does not like, if it's toxic, well, if, if their life is toxic, if, you know, I had someone that I haven't talked to in a very long time recently reach out, uh, because he needed help. He needed emotional support. And I was like, I just messaged him. I was like, dude, I don't have, like, I don't, I don't have space in my life for you. We haven't talked in almost a year. Like, yeah. where were you when I needed you? But all of a sudden, because you're going through this trauma, you're reaching out to me because I'm really good at talking people through these things and helping people. No, not I you. Was... <sighs> I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I was like, I just don't have, I'm sorry, I don't have space for you. And, you know, he tried to bash me and, you know, his responses were dark and, and, the, the first thing that I find when toxic people are turned away is they try to run the guilt trip on you. You know, well, like, well, uh, um, I'm at the point where I may hurt myself, blah, 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 blah. And that's just one of those things where, like, I'm not going to reintroduce that toxicity. That toxicity has been gone for a year. And, like, sorry. So, yeah, one of the things that I've learned over the years is, like, nope, get rid of them. Bye. And it sounds really, really cold, but when you realize that you don't need, like, I thought that like Matt and I were going to be together forever. I was only going to get married one time. I was, we were never getting divorced. Like if this marriage was ending, one of us was ending up in a fucking body bag, whether it was natural causes or that we killed each other, whatever. Like that was the only way that that marriage was ending. Right. And so what I had to find last year and what I'm still working on finding is who I am outside of that and right. who I am as a, like, I am no longer Matt's wife. I'm just right. Valerie. Right. And sometimes when people get into, into relationships, they become one person, right? They're that unit, but you still have to have your individuality. And when you start to lose that, I feel like that's detrimental. Like Matt would make, Matt had said to me before, he was like, you're acting bipolar. So mind you, he knows my stepsister. My stepsister is bipolar, manic depressive. She has multiple personality disorder. She has a lot of mental illness and we don't have a relationship anymore due to a lot of reasons, but we were close at one point and Matt knows her and he was like, you're acting like your sister and it would piss me off. But hindsight's 2020 looking back, he's absolutely right. And it's because I have a similar disorder to her and I didn't want to confront any of that. And like, it was a matter of, of coming, coming to terms with everything and, and realizing that like my diagnosis doesn't define me just like being overweight doesn't define me just like being, you know, mentally unstable doesn't define me or being depressed doesn't define me. Letting, letting go of those, of those stigmas that, that society has placed on us Mm -hmm. is huge is fucking huge like if you can get to that point you're halfway there you really well, and that comes that comes down to yeah if, if you if you can realize that your definition your worth your value who you are is not defined by <clears throat> people what people's expectations people who don't even know you 
um, yeah, then that's that's golden. That that's I think that should be the goal for everyone. Uh, so one of the things that you mentioned earlier uh, is that you you'd not been on stage uh, sober. Yeah. And then you uh, you mentioned drugs. So because one of the one of the behaviors of bipolar disorder is poor impulse control uh, and uh, let's see if I can find it. Bad decision making. Check. Check. <laughs> um, I feel like there was something about drugs. I know that a lot of people with bipolar disorder from the research that I've done have drug abuse uh, in their past. So I also have drug abuse in my past. Um, how open are you about talking about that? I So I actually talked about it on Willie's <laughs> podcast, which... Ethan has not listened to, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, so my drug of choice is cocaine. I dabbled a bit in high school. Mind you, I was a straight A student in high school. Oh, I was. So I love school. I, I would Hate go it. back and do high school over again. Oh, shoot me. That's because they try to make you play football and you didn't want to play football. That's because a lot of things, but yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> I can tell that story real quick. Um, so did you, uh, so, cocaine was your drug of choice. Did you, did, did you dabble in any other kind of drugs? Um, I did heroin once, scared the shit out of myself. Okay. Um, I was never like a pothead, like my family are potheads. Right. Um, but I never, it was, I don't know. Like I think I, the first time I smoked pot was my 18th birthday with my sister. Cause she was like, come on, you never smoke with me. My mom said the same thing. And I'm just like, fine. I'll smoke with you in the car on the way to get our tattoos because I got a I got a tattoo for my 18th birthday. Jesus, it's actually, that's probably the worst time you could have smoked for your first time. It was so bad. So oh. I so first of all, it's a tramp stamp. It's a butterfly on my low back. So I'm but Solid. the picture was drawn for me from a friend who committed suicide actually when I was a kid. So yeah. like there's there's his mom had mailed me the picture. She goes, I finally went through Josh's room mm. and I found this picture he drew for you, and I'm assuming it was before he died, which mind you, he died six years prior to my birthday. Right. Um, she's like, but I wanted to send it to you because there's a note written on the back and I think it'll be comforting to you. And all it said was love you, butthead, which is what he called me. And yeah. so <laughs> I thought it was super cute. So for my birthday, I got like, like a tattoo and I, I added to it myself. Like I added like some little swirlies on the sides. I'll show you it, whatever. Um, and but so I'm, I'm sitting on a stool at the tattoo shop with my tank top pulled up, obviously, to show my back, and my pants pulled down to where, like, this much of my ass crack is hanging out, because it has to, because it's that low, right. and I, my, my uh, brother-in-law is next door in the room next to me getting his nipples pierced, because that was, like, the cool thing to do back then, and so I, like, I remember laughing at him, the tattoo artist saying, do you want to take a break? I said, yeah, and I wake up, and he's finished with my tattoo. So I fell asleep after being in so much pain. You Because I was high. Like, and then oh, I came home. Jesus. So we drove like 45 minutes to the tattoo shop from Woodland to Vallejo, got the tattoo, came back home. And I, I took a nap on the couch. And my mom looked at my sister and was like, what did you do to her? <laughs> She's like, and then I woke up and I was like, mom, I want chips. She's like, do you have the munchies right now? Like, yep. Totally. Yep. But I, so I was what... never, so I was never super into pot, but. What, what, what got you into cocaine? I'm curious. 
um, a girl I went to college with. I was doing my medical assistant training in Sacramento. My mom had just died and she was like, I, I remember telling her that I was bummed that I wasn't old enough to buy alcohol because I had just turned 19 when my mom had passed away. Yeah. This was February 2005. And she goes, well, I have something that will help you, like, numb the pain. And I was yeah. like, yeah, dude. And that was my first experience with it. And literally on a compact mirror in my car before class. Yep. How long and did you uh, just how long did you use? uh about i guess give or t- steady six months but it was over the course of like a year yeah um and then i so i was in an abusive relationship um so my we were together i guess we started Back in dating. when you were 19 yeah okay. so we we started dating when i was 18 before my mom had passed away he was there for me when my mom had passed away so i clung to him because i was lost obviously just lost my mom. I was like, I had no idea what to do. Um, and I moved in with him because he lived closer to my school than my house was. So I lived with him and the abuse didn't start till after my birthday in 2005. And it was, it was always like the mental, emotional abuse. And then it became physical. And it wasn't until he put me in the hospital for the second time that Mm -hmm. I realized it was an issue. Um, he broke my, he broke my orbital socket in my face. Um, at that point I was so disconnected from my family. Like I wasn't talking to my family. I talked to my grandpa like once a week. I didn't talk to my sister or my dad really at all. I, he had me so closed off from everybody and I let him control my life. Like I, looking back now, I don't even know how I went through school and got straight A's because I was so like a shell of a shell of a person going to class every day. Um, but I remember, so this will actually go and do my first attempt. Um, it was Thanksgiving of 2005. So mind you, it was the first Thanksgiving without my mom in my entire life. The first Thanksgiving in, a, you know, in 45 years that my grandfather had without his daughter. And I, we had plans to drive down from Sacramento to Pacifica to see my grandpa. And I had just found on his computer uh, some emails he was sending to this girl that he was cheating on me with. Um, about how he just got back from Disneyland with a bunch of friends. He had a great time. And I'm like, motherfucker, we went to Disneyland together. That was a, that was a trip that actually like brought us back together. He was in anger management. Things were going really well in our relationship. The abuse had stopped for about two months prior to this. Um, and I, I remember I locked myself in the bathroom with his computer. Right. And I read all these emails. He's pounding on the door and I'm reading these emails and I'm streaming at him. And like, there's such a volatile, like abusive relationship on both parts. And I just was like, I was so mad. And he, I heard him walk away. So I went out of the bathroom and I went around into the kitchen and I grabbed every, I grabbed the knife block. Like why grab one when you can grab the knife block? And I locked myself in the bathroom and he had realized that I had taken the knives and he was pounding on the door because he knew at that point, I knew that I had suffered from depression, but nothing was diagnosed. I didn't do anything about it. Um, And I was at the height of my drug use to where like, I didn't give a fuck what happened to me anyway. Um, I was making bad decisions to get drugs. We'll just leave that at that. You can, everyone can just use their imagination for that. And I was just, I was so dark and low that like, I didn't want to be alive anymore. Yeah. And so I took my pants off in the bathroom and I used the knife and I just started like cutting my leg up 
Like I didn't care. Like I wasn't trying to go deep. I just wanted that like release of pain. Mm-hmm. And so I was cutting my leg and he asked what I was doing. And I said, what you don't have the balls to do is what yeah. I said to him. Yeah. And me in terms of I'm going to kill myself because you don't have the balls to do it. Even though you tell me every day how much you want to kill me, I'm going to take that power away from you and right. I'm going to do it. Right. And he busted down the bathroom door right before I can slip my wrist bad enough. Really? And I was crying. He was crying. He said, if life with me is that bad, then leave. Mm. And he That's left. That's interesting. He, he left the house and I never saw him again. I, the next morning, packed up everything I could in my vehicle and I drove and I never looked back. So that's super, like, but, that dynamic. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. Yeah. I did see him in August of 2006 at a wedding yeah. for mutual friends. We were both in the wedding. We didn't walk down the aisle together, thankfully. Um, but we were at that reception at that house. And he and two of his friends are the ones who I eventually put in jail for sexual assault. He passed away in 2014 from testicular cancer karma is a real bitch ain't it yeah it is now that uh couple things that i want to mention that i want to hit on um first of all you said it wasn't until the second time that he put you in the hospital that you realized it was an issue which i think uh actually i know for a fact from the research that i've done when it comes to abusive relationships when when men or women are the abused and and for I think the people that are that have never been in that kind of relationship, it sounds stupid, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, but like, there's this. So you said that you said that you were dating before your mother died. Your mother died, uh, and then he kind of became your anchor, um, which is is the the repeating factor in a lot of abusive abusive relationships where the abuser. Um, or the abusee sees something of extreme value in the abuser, so they stay, and they are uh, ignorant to the fact of what's actually going on. Um, So uh, what was it like when you had that moment of realization the second time he put you in the hospital, that that aha moment, as much as I hate to use that term because that term is so overused, where you were like, okay, yeah, no, like, this is a problem. What, What did that conversation look like in your own head? Like... So the nurse who was there the night that I was admitted to the hospital um, had asked me, she said, what happened? And I said, well, I was putting dishes away and my phone rang and I went to run to get it and I hit my face on the cab- the corner of the cabinet. Mm-hmm. You were construction. Yeah. Nobody's face is going to break if they hit it on a corner of a cabinet. Just, just so everyone knows, the orbital bone is—it's uh, really, really hard to break. The orbital bone is the bone that goes around the eye. It's the one that creates the eye socket. Um, it is incredibly hard to break. It is an incredibly hard bone. It is part of your skull. So yes, hitting a uh, cabinet, uh, the corner of a cabinet with your face would not break your orbital bone unless that cabinet was like solid steel. And I also, I think I said something to her too, like I was doing dishes, so my foot slipped, and like I, I had a story. Yeah, I was in I was in school for medical assisting at the time and we had to do EKGs on each other. Right. So Mm -hmm. the leads have to go down your chest under your breastbone 
Mm-hmm. And I remember my teacher was like, you know, Valerie, you haven't been volunteering for anything. Like, come be my guinea pig. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I didn't want to be the guinea pig because of the bruises that were on my body that luckily my, my scrubs were able to hide. Right. But that nurse said to me, she, she took my hand, which mind you was bruised. Cause I did try to fight back and my, my knuckle, well, people obviously can't see through the, through the podcast, but this knuckle here is permanently like indented uh, because I broke my knuckle, knuckle yeah. my ring finger knuckle. Yeah. Okay. Because I punched him. And I, I, I don't know if I, I think I was on the ground when this happened. So I think I hit like his shin bone or his kneecap or something like that. And I broke my knuckle. Yeah. Um, she grabbed my hand and I winced and she said, it's okay. Like you're safe being here. Yeah. And she said to me, she goes, so she, already, she already knew. She knew. She goes, I've been in your shoes. Yeah. Mm. She was a single mom of five kids mm. at 30 years old. Jeez. Young, young African, beautiful woman. Like the most gorgeous eyes I've ever seen on anybody. Yeah. Um, were and they she blue? said, light blue. They were probably light blue. They were gray. Really? Yes, they were gray. That's wonderful. I'm sorry. And continue. she goes, she goes, I know what you're going through. I've been there. Mm. I've come up with the stories too. Yeah. Here's here's my phone number. It took me four weeks to call her. Yeah. And she was the first phone call I made when I packed up my car and drove on Thanksgiving, 2005. That's really cool. And still, we still talk. I was going to yeah. ask if you're still in touch with her. Very cool. Yeah. Oh. We, we talk mainly now on like Facebook and stuff. Yeah. Um, she is a grandmother now. Her kids have grown up to be these amazing children. I'm friends with her, with her, you know, her oldest daughter on, on, on Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, and it's, it's a story where, you know, she eventually shared with me. So I don't have photos. I never press charges against him for the physical abuse obviously for the rape yes not for the physical abuse um i don't have photos of anything but she has shared photos with me of her abuse and she told me she's like this is what you looked like Mm. and i avoided i avoided mirrors when when all this was happening i think we had we had one mirror in the bathroom and literally that was it and it was a small mirror anyway and like i just I would get in the shower and I would turn my back to that mirror to get into the shower because I didn't want to see anything. Um, it was a moment that changed my life because I said that I would never again be with a person who would ever hit a wall, break a door, raise a hand at me, or even really raise their voice to me. Mm-hmm. I made those conscious decisions at 19 years old. Right. And obviously you know, arguments happen in relationships, whatever, but, um, I've stuck to that. That's awesome. I would love to hear a podcast with you and her just saying there's an idea. That would be so much actually. You're welcome. You're welcome. I will take no royalties from that. (laughs) Yes, you will. So no, I won't. So I think it's only fair. Um, oh, oh yeah, that, that was a question. Did you, uh, did you ever experiment with like ecstasy or Molly? Uh, no, no, never. The whole like mind altering, like I'm not like a raver or anything. Yeah. I have friends that have, and like, I basically, I had friends that had done Molly and Exy and we would go to like raves or clubs or whatever. And I would just yeah. be like, you just look stupid. Yeah. Like you don't look like you're story. having fun. You just look dumb. So that was never my, that was never my thing. Um, actually in February of this last year, 
I celebrated 14 years clean. That is incredible. So you said uh, six months on cocaine over over a period of a year. Did you find that you became addicted to it? Because I also have I have this hypothesis that I haven't really looked heavily into. Uh, but this is this is more just uh, based off of my experience and some other people that I know that have bipolar disorder uh, that I find that when those of us that have bipolar disorder hit a manic episode, it's easier to break addiction. So did you did you find that you were addicted to cocaine at any point? No. I mean, okay. every once in a while now, I still kind of think about it. I guess the craving is still there. But yeah. I, I don't think I'm addicted to it. I never um, – I did seek out, like, treatment, my grandfather. Okay. Uh, so I moved in with him in November 2005. Like I said, I, le- I had left that relationship. I basically came to my grandfather's for Thanksgiving with all of my stuff and moved into my mom's old bedroom. Um, and in February of 2006, I had met somebody that I was really into. He was not a fan of the drug use. Um, and he basically was like, me or drugs, which do you choose? I chose him. Um, and I had told my, I told my grandfather that I had had a problem and he said, okay, um, let me see what I can do. And he put me in an outpatient program. And that, when I say that my grandfather saved my life more than once, yeah, it's absolutely true. That's cool. So yeah, I, I dabbled in cocaine. Uh, I did it like two or three times. And it was one of those things where I was already far enough in my journey where I was aware that if I continued, I would absolutely become addicted to it like 150% because I have a very addictive personality. Um, I was weird. I was the weird kid that like I would take Molly. It got to a point with my drug dealer that this person would walk up to me. They would get like a new shipment of Molly. They would walk up to me and go, here, take this, come back to me in 30 minutes and let me know how it is. Like I was that guy. I did so much ecstasy and so much Molly. Um, and then just weed. There was a time in my life that, uh, there was probably a good year and a half that I just wasn't high. Like I would fall asleep high. I would wake up high and I would smoke 24 seven. Um, cause I had some demons that I was running away from. So I think it's interesting. And in fact, I found it in the article, uh, increased risky behavior, such as irresponsible. Whoa. That sentence got away from me. Increased risk of uh, increased risky behavior, (laughs) such as irresponsible spending or doing drugs. Uh, So like obviously people that it's not just people with bipolar disorder, but everyone can have problems with drugs. But I think it's uh, interesting that you and I both share that as well. Well, and I think that, I mean, drugs ain't cheap, y'all. Like, No, they're not. It is an expensive freaking habit. So it makes sense that people who... I, I would honestly be interested to look at statistics of people who are bipolar and who are addicts, drug addicts, because during types of ma- during times of mania, that you're chasing that euphoria that the drugs give you, right? So you're also like, and you're also frivolous with money. So of course, of course, it makes so much sense that people who have this prop, you know, have this disorder also have addiction because they go hand in hand. Like I was your typical low life pothead that would spend money on weed before I paid rent. It got really, really bad uh, for a time. That's not a responsible adult, Ethan. No, no, that's increased risky behavior such as irresponsible spending or doing drugs. (laughs) 
What? No, I think. So, go ahead. What is one thing that you want people to know about people like us who are bipolar that you think that people don't know? Like, what is something that you want to like tell the world about people who are bipolar? Oof, that's a great question. Uh, tell the world who are bipolar. Um, man, patience. Uh, no, no, I take that back. If so, if someone that you know, someone that you love has bipolar disorder, don't be afraid to have uncomfortable conversations. I think so often, so often, um, and this is something that my dad and I have been working on for years. Uh, my dad's not good at having uncomfortable conversations. And as a result, for a very long time, I was horrible at having uncomfortable conversations. But the more I have them, the more I fall in love with them because uncomfortable conversations get stuff done. Uncomfortable conversations change the world. Um, there's my grandiose sense of self. Um, don't be afraid to have uncomfortable conversations and don't be afraid to tell the people that you love the stuff that they need to hear and not what they want to hear. Because for me, I know that when I, when I go dark, I don't know that I've gone dark until I start to come out of it. At least that was, that was true for a very long time in my life before I had my red flags and before I had my analogies and before I had the tools that I have in my tool belt, uh, to make myself aware. There was a very, very, very long time, many, many years where I didn't know I was dark until I was coming out of it. You know, but if I had someone in my life that would go, hey, dude, like you're doing these things, you you know, you're flag, you're hitting all your red flags. You got all these signs like so if there is someone that you love, whether that is a friend, whether that is a son, whether that is a, a father, whether that is a mother, uh, a family member um, or, a, or a significant other. Like, first of all, if you if you are going to jump into a relationship with someone that has bipolar disorder, like patience, that's where the whole I was going to go with patience. But like. You can't like you have to have those uncomfortable conversations because when people with bipolar disorder one or two go dark like or go low, have those depressive states like as we as we we read in the article, they're going to you know, you're going to um, cut yourself off like I cut myself off from people. That's why the people that know me well on Instagram like Willie. Hey, Willie, always get concerned when I when I don't post because that's literally of, that's literally what I was just thinking in my head when you're talking about that because Willie and I talk about you yeah and we'll be like where's Ethan been and I'm like oh you know he's busy with work and Willie's like I don't care yeah yeah yeah. Ethan yeah and then I told you today I was like I miss your micro dots like what the fuck like where have you been I want yeah. I want to know that you're good like and I was saying earlier we just want proof of life Ethan right and so that's one of the things that I and do it, when it, I go dark but it's it, for me it's not because I'm concerned about you going dark. It's because I want to know that you're okay. Because, Cause like, because I get it. I'm awesome because I'm awesome because I'm awesome and humble. So humble. The most humble person I've probably ever met. And humble. Like sugar-free humble pie. <laughs> hey, don't talk about pie or cake. Okay. We already had that conversation. But it's sugar-free. That so anyways. You get to eat a bunch of it. <laughs> lies sugar free okay sugar free equals sugar this hey we need to put this on a shirt we need to put this on a shirt sugar free equals no moderation that is your inner fat kid talking (laughs) that's my outer fat kid talking too (laughs) so when i go when i go dark uh uh one of the things that i don't do uh which lack of interest in things that that 
make me happy is Instagram, uh, which that's not what it's not what's going on right now. Um, so be willing to have uncomfortable conversations. If you say that you love someone, like I said, whether that's a friend or a significant other or a sibling or a parent, if you I think that one of the one of the things that that is confused in life is a lot of people think that love looks like avoiding uncomfortable conversations. Like, oh, I love this person, so I'm not going to say those things. When in reality, love, if you truly, genuinely love someone, willingness to make yourself uncomfortable to call them out, to have those uncomfortable conversations because you are concerned about them, that is what love, in my opinion, actually looks like. So one of the things that I would tell people um, if they, if they have someone in their life that has bipolar disorder, someone that they genuinely, truly, and deeply care about, be willing to have uncomfortable conversations. And you know what? It might be one of those conversations where the person with bipolar disorder goes, screw you, I don't need you, I hate you. But I promise you, I promise you, if you come from a place of love and honesty and concern, they will come back around and they will come and they will apologize about their behavior. And when that does happen, that's where that patience comes in. And you have to understand uh, that uh, you have to you have to be willing to forgive because when when someone with bipolar disorder goes dark when they are dark when they're in their low as you call it when they're in a depressive state they're not they're not them they really aren't well and i think that people need to realize that it's not their fault for lack of a better term that people who are bipolar go dark or go low like it's not there's not one person who makes me go that way it just happens sometimes it's out of my control sometimes it's a combination of choices that I make that put me in that state that for you say push you over that edge of that diving board I feel like a lot of times like my stepdad blamed himself for my stepsister's behaviors she granted to an extent had control but we I feel what I feel I don't have control over that all the time and getting someone else to understand that is like me trying to break my face on a goddamn cupboard. Like, it doesn't work. It's just not going to happen. Yep. What is the biggest lesson? So, okay, wait. Let's backtrack for a sec. Yeah. When did you, when did you, when you were watching Shameless and you realized that, that you were mimicking or, you know, mirroring this character in the show... Which, by the way, Shameless is an amazing show. Shameless is life. Amazing. When when was that? Like, how long ago was that? That you Ooh, kind see, of, like, self-diagnosed? I hate these questions, and you'll understand why. My memory, my timeline is not that good. So, uh, I have been keto for, like, four or five years now. Carnivore for, like, a year and a half, two years. So, I'd say, like, close to, like, four years ago. Four years ago is when I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is, like, this is it. Like, this is, yep. Yeah. And why have you not sought professional like help or professional diagnosis or anything like that? I don't have health insurance, but it was also, so one of those, I, I, at the time I had health insurance under my father, but it was, uh, it was, it was a cycle of, uh, I'm, I'm depressed. I should reach out for help. Then I would get really dark and not give a crap. 
and then I would go manic and I would do the whole, oh, I can do this on my own. And just that cycle over and over and over again. And then by the time that I was old enough to or mature enough to realize that I needed help, I had turned 26 and I had lost my health insurance. So is that something that you want to do, though? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. For a couple of reasons. One, I can continue uh, helping myself and growing uh, in that situation. But two, like I feel like I feel like there's there's a sense of disbelief when when someone like me self-diagnoses, you know, so the, the, there's there's a lack of credibility. Let's put it that way. Lack of credibility when it comes to me saying that I have bipolar disorder, which is why even as I did at the top of this, I mentioned that I was undiagnosed because one, I feel that's very important to say. But two, that. Uh, uh, yeah, the lack of lack of credibility when it comes to something like that. Do you ever have people try to be like, oh, you're not bipolar, like because you haven't been diagnosed? So I don't now. <laughs> That's actually a funny story. Um, I don't try to tell it very quickly. Uh, my biological mother was very abusive to my father. Uh, so as a result, anything that she said, according to my father, like he just kind of did the opposite because she was the, the villain in the story. Um, and she was uh, bipolar. She was uh, like schizophrenic. She like she had all of it. You open the book. She had it. Um, so she when I was younger, got me diagnosed as bipolar uh, and ADHD and ADD and, uh, all that kind of fun stuff. And my dad kind of just went opposite the opposite direction because again, she was the villain. So anything she said, uh, wasn't true. And this is, it's not, not fault of my dad. I don't, you know, I don't hold this against him. It's just, you know, his coping mechanism was to distance himself from my mother, uh, because she, she did the best that she could, but her best was not good. Like it just wasn't good. Um, so when I was younger, yeah, my dad would actually uh, try to teach me that I didn't have these things, uh, which hindsight's twenty twenty, uh, and as it turns out, I do at least have one or two of those things that uh, she had me diagnosed as. So I was diagnosed when I was younger. I, I guess I could say that. Mhm. Mm but have you ever had someone try to, like now, say, oh? No. No, not not yet, at least. So it took me a while to come out. Sounds kind of funny saying that that way, but it took me a while to tell my like immediate family like about my diagnosis. And I still don't know if I've ever said the words to my dad. Like to this day, like, dad, I'm bipolar because. I don't want him to blame himself because I feel like that sometimes happens parents will blame themselves like, oh, I did something wrong in raising my child to make them this way. Right. And it's no fault. Of, like both of my parents. So this is kind of rare. Both my parents were adopted. I don't know my medical history or like mental health history beyond my mother and father. And my mom died at 45. So like, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know what's in store for me <laughs> as an older person. Um, so I don't, I don't know if like mental illness runs in my family. Right. Like I know that my mom was depressed, um, but I feel like it was kind of like the normal depression that everybody goes through when times get hard, you know, you get sad. Like it's, it was normal. It was never like she was sleeping all day long and anything like that. She just, she 
but at the same time she would blame everybody else for like i don't like talking about bad about her because she's she's deceased but she blamed everybody else for her issues (laughs) she she would blame everybody else like for the problems in her life that she would create she like money issues well look at the three bottles of tequila in the trash can like so my mom was an addict my mom was an alcoholic um I actually went to, so I replaced one addiction with another. So I got my drug use under control, got clean, uh, was in that relationship that I was in, the one who said, choose me your drugs. Right. And then uh, when that relationship ended, I head first dove into alcohol. Yep. Um, like there would be nights where I would, I would wake up in the morning and my car was in the driveway and my clothes were off and I was in bed and I don't have any recollection of how I got there. Yeah. But my car was home. Yeah. Talk about risky behavior. Like. Right. Well, and so that's that's super interesting that you said that because uh, I like I said, I deal with a highly addictive personality. Um, I've gotten addicted to things that like people just don't get addicted to. Uh, but one of the things that I've learned over dealing with that addiction is that, like you said, you don't I, I genuinely don't believe you don't get rid of addiction. You just refocus that energy. And one of the things that I learned to become addicted to, uh, well, you refocus that energy and hope that your new addiction is uh, beneficial. And one of the things that I've learned to become addicted to uh, is the gym. I refocus the energy into being addicted to the gym. I find that a lot with with weight loss people, right? They take their food addiction and turn it into the gym. Um, I have an addictive personality, but I guess in a bit of a different way, like obviously drugs and alcohol, and I still drink alcohol, but not in excess like I used to, except for my birthday. Except for my birthday. Well, okay. So two, so the Thursday, my birthday was on a Saturday. The Thursday before, me and Becca and Lauren, who, I don't know if you know this, but they're two girls I connected with on Instagram six years ago. Um, I actually met them for the first time in person last year when I flew to Boston for Becca's wedding. Um, The three of us got together. Huh? Were your arms tired when you flew to? Never mind. No, if had I flown, this would not be a fucking thing right now. Okay, this would be much tighter than it is now, as I'm flapping my bat wing to him on video chat. Um, no, so, but when I, on that Thursday, so my birthday's the fourth, Becca's birthday's the sixth. This was on the second. We had a, a girls' night of the three of us on video chat, and we all just got drunk, and it was great. And then my birthday happened, and I got drunk on my birthday, too, because of other stuff. But, um, yeah. But, I mean, for me, I get addicted to people, to friendships. Interesting. To, re- to, to relationships or, like, when I meet someone new and, like, we're friends, I want to talk to them all the time. I want to hang out with them all the time. I'm like... You're cool. I like you. Starting, it's all starting to make sense now. Continue. See, but I, I mean, feel like so, so, many people, so many people are losing out because all right, so <laughs> if you haven't figured it out yet, we are video chatting right now. So there's a lot of um, unspoken things. Uh, sign you language. Sign, in your hand right now? Yeah, don't worry about my battery. Sign language, for example, uh, that are going on that you guys can't uh, <laughs> see. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should post this on IGTV. Oh, good lord! Oh. Just that, just that snippet, huh? Oh. But I, 
I get, I get addicted to people, but like friendships and like, especially when I know, like if I'm going towards the end of that diving board and I know that like things are getting rough, I will cling to those people to like pull me back yeah. because sometimes I can't do it myself. Yeah. I will say it's, it's been a while since I've had, I guess, a quote unquote, as you say, dark episode. Mm-hmm. Because you know exactly I, how long? April of last year. Cool. So for me, it was Memorial Day of 2009, which is in May, which we're coming up on. 2009 so or 19? 2019. Shut up. Stop it. Stop picking on me. Hey, how old's your nephew? He is uh, one and some change. But he was born in 2018. He was born in 2019. (laughs) February 2nd, 2019. For anyone that wants to send him a birthday present, let me know. Um, So (laughs) the the day, what I'm I'm counting as uh, coming out of the darkness that I was in, um, I don't think you were following me that on Instagram, but I had this really, really, really trash uh, management job at a local restaurant here where I was working seven days a week, open to close, so like 13, 14 hours a day, like just hating my life. Because one of the things that I do when I go dark is I will uh, engross myself in something to avoid dealing with what's actually going on. And for me, it was that job. I did it for about six months. Memorial Day of last year is the day that I just walked out on that job, which I've never walked out on a job. And I, I swore to never walk out on a job, but my right hand guy, like we were dealing with the same exact crap. The owner of the restaurant is incredibly abusive and just like worked us like slaves. He was like, you know what? He looked at me. He was like, you know what, dude, I'm out. I'm done. And like that kind of gave me permission to walk out. But that is my marker for when I started caring about myself again. So we're almost coming up on a year that I haven't gone fully dark. So about a year ago is when my ex-husband said after five months of back and forth um, on his birthday, he said, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to file for divorce. I, I've been unhappy with you for the last few years, which was a slap in the fucking face to me. And my world came crashing down and again, led to me being on a 72 hour psych hold. And so I'm, I'm at that one year mark of, of that event. And my mental health, then compared to now is drastically different am i like fixed or cured no but i'm i'm better when people ask me how how are you or how you how are you doing or you know so i never i never made like a post on facebook like matt and i are getting divorced right my subtle thing was is i changed my last name from my married last name to my maiden name. Mm-hmm. Actually, no. Wait, the first thing I, I took, I took our relationship like off Facebook. Like it didn't say married to Matt Hockett, Matt Oof. anymore. That it makes said, it, official, it just though. said, it said single. Facebook and official. then it wasn't until our, I think it was right when I, when I filed the divorce papers in August. So four months later, I changed my last name and I felt like that was my way of telling everybody. And then two months after that, he put his relationship on Facebook that they had just started dating, but you know, they had been dating for a, a year at that point, but that's here nor there. Um, I never felt like it was, it was something that I had to do. Right. Yeah. Facebook is a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast, bro. Like Facebook is like dead now. Social though. media and 
social media in general is a whole nother podcast of, right? You have the comparison effect. You have the people who want to sell themselves on Instagram. Are we going to do that episode? We need to do that episode. I'm so down. I think you, me, and Willie should do a uh, roundtable. The pros and cons of social media. Willie. William. William G. Gillis. Is your, did your name start with a G? That would be ironic. I really feel like I should know the answer to that. So his birth name is not William, by the way. Whoa. 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 How are you just going to put, you going to air out his laundry like that? That's not cool. I call him William all the time. And at first he would not answer me. Now he's just used to it. But. I just never, you would think someone whose name is Willie, like. That's a nickname to William. Is it's it not true. Willie? Is his name actually Willie? Yes. Is his legal name Willie? Yeah. This kind of changes my relationship with him. But I, and I learned that Jack calls him Will. That's weird. I, he's not a Will to me. He's a Willie. William Ulysses Gillis. I do this thing where if I don't know someone's middle name, it's always Ulysses. Right. True story. Anyways, uh, don't you call said, me. Wait, Ulysses? Is that what you say? Yeah. Like, like my Grant. name. Ulysses S. Grant. Well, I know I get, but like, I'm just thinking about my name and the middle name Ulysses. Like that would do just be weird. Do you not like, know American history? I do. Jeez, did you say it would be weird, Valerie? Ulysses, what's your, which, what last name are we going with? Grasso. Okay. I just didn't know how to pronounce it, honestly. Nope. Everyone says Grasso, and it's really annoying, so. Valerie Ulysses Grasso. <laughs> My middle name is Anne, but sure, we'll go with it's, whatever the fuck you want. It's Ulysses. <laughs> so we are an hour and 50. Oh, gosh, I wonder if anyone other than Willie is actually listening <laughs> No, nobody's gotten this far. Well, in that case, Willie, love you, pal. Like, you're a really good friend. We were actually talking about how good of a friend you were before we started this. And let me know, or let uh, Valerie Ulysses Grasso know if you want to do the uh, pros and cons podcast for uh, social media. I think that'd be cool. I feel like there's a lot. What are you, what are you we're, doing? We're not, we're not. Are we going to name drop? No. No. Never. Because it's not but, about... Well, you didn't name drop, but we all knew who the fuck you were talking about. Your podcast. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I am so fed up with people thinking that they know who I was talking about. <sighs> first of all, if you, guys, if you guys don't listen... if you guys, First of all, okay, if you got Ethan... Where can people yeah. find you on Instagram? I guess we should do that, shouldn't we? So on Instagram, you can find me at depressed, the number two, determined. I should put my radio voice on now. And then... It's been on this whole time. Ethan, do you have a podcast? Oh, as a Talk matter of fact, it. I feel like, I feel like, did you, you remember, I feel like uh, uh, the dumpster fire episode that I was on when I was talking to Gary about the flying pig? Uh, I feel like that's what's going on right now. Um, as a matter of fact, hold on. Let did me my say voice something. just crack? <laughs> Guys, I'm going through puberty. It's finally here. 
my voice. I am bitter. Too. I am bitter AF about the dumpster fire because I have not been invited onto dumpster fire. Hey, Willie, since you're still listening. <coughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's 10.30 here. It's an hour past my bedtime. Uh, yeah, so I have uh, a podcast that I've not been active on, but I need to get back on to. Uh, it's called Let's Talk About It. You can find it uh, on Anchor, on Spotify, and a couple other places that I'm not sure about. I'm not on, they still haven't distributed me all over the interwebs. Are you on iTunes? I don't, think so. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm on those yet. It, they blocked me for the first like 68 episodes of my 100 days, and I was really pissed, and it took me like having to reach out to support and... It was stupid, and then eventually one day it was like, voila, Valerie's on. It was stupid. I'm not it was too dumb. about that, though. You know, I, don't, I, I feel don't like want... most people like have Spotify anyway. I don't want to get too famous. It's like moderately famous. You know? I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, yeah, quote unquote, I couldn't handle fame. I've actually thought about that. Should we talk about that, too? I feel like there is so much more, right? So the really cool thing about I love this two hour long episode that hopefully people are going to be listening to because the whole idea of this podcast, you, you approached me is it was going to be, be about suicide. And it kind of went from being about that to being about like bipolar disorder and like our, our experiences with that. And like, seriously, thank you for spending this time talking to me. We've been talking for like five hours now, two of that. we recorded. Three and a half. No way. We've been, we've been recording for an hour and 52 minutes. We talked for like two, Two hours no, I called you that. at 4 p.m. My time is when we started this call. It's now 7.30. Three and a half hours. Uh, it just feels called, like longer because you're sick of me. It's fine. I get you it. You called me at 4 o'clock. It is now 10.30. Okay. Let's do some math. Four, no, it was 4 o'clock my time. You called me at 4 o'clock. It is now 10.30. Okay. I'm looking at the clock right now. Okay. Clocks are all the same. The way you're gonna tell let's, me there's some there's some weird some weird invisible lines where the time changes. I live in Nevada, where people smoke everywhere, and Ethan lives in Florida, where people go to the beach on the first day it's open and don't fucking social distance. I don't believe in time, but I can't go to the gym. But I can't go to the gym. I don't believe in time zones. So. Soccer on the beach, bro. I told you. I don't know. No. <laughs> Anyways, I feel like there's so much more. Like I would love to revisit this and talk about this like this is gonna Nick. be a series this this is gonna have yes. to be more can it be seriously just, yeah we should probably cut this episode down to an hour instead of two hours <laughs> Oops. No maybe one the follow-up episodes will be like 30 minute check-ins yeah okay with like where are you at on the diving board well Let's talk about it. one of the things that i really want to talk about uh that I, I feel like a lot of people don't talk about i feel like a lot of people focus on like the depressive states but i would love to compare and contrast our notes about manic states too. Yeah. The highs. So we talked. We, we talked. We talked. We talked a lot about lows, but I think yeah, we touched on on manic, but I think that'd be good too. Yeah, I would love to talk about that, but uh, you said you you said 20 minutes ago you said you had to leave in 10 minutes, and we are coming up on two hours of recording. I'm I'm just I'm just getting hungry at this point. Like I didn't. Bring oh, should have so brought snack. You're just okay. I see how it is. We could take this on for four hours, but you're hungry. Whatever. You want me to? I got some food in the kitchen. I can try and get it through the camera. Hey, hey, go get me, go get me some of that chocolate cake. Please take it all. <laughs> can we talk about that? You ever get a chocolate? Do you ever have a cake 
chocolate, vanilla, it doesn't matter, strawberry, where, like, the icing is 10 out of 10, but the sponge is just garbage. How disappointing is that? For those and, like, that there's only so much icing that you can eat. <laughs> like, I usually take some of the frosting <laughs> out of stuff. False. <laughs> I can only take so much of the frosting, and so... <laughs> I, be... Wait, hold on, hold on. Go back, go back to that face for a second. Hold on. Uh, frosting. <laughs> I can't Frost. wait. Wait, frosting. Okay, perfect. You got it. Yeah, I did. Okay, You're good. Can That's that gonna be... be your. Yeah, I'm I can. Down with that. Can that be? Can that be one of the things that we talk about when we talk about the uh, our pet peeves of social media, where people use you instead of I? Like they they talk about themselves, but they project it onto other people. I love projecting. It's such it's such a wonderful defense mechanism that people use when it comes to the game of psychology. Anyways, you need to go. You're hungry. I need to go because yeah. I have to I have to I have to pee, and it's uh, an hour and thirty minutes <laughs> past my bedtime. Well, Ethan, you are one of my favorites. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and talking about topics that people shy away from and I feel like this definitely needs to be a continuing conversation this I feel like we just scratched the surface of these topics and for those of you who are like upset that we're talking about this you know what you don't have to listen because there's some people out there who can gain value from this topic and maybe that 800,000 number can go down by more people being open and honest and talking about mental health and mental illness and talking about these conversations that are triggering and are hard but are necessary one of the things that i've mentioned uh, a couple of times is you know we've got people like anthony bourdain we've got people like robin williams heath ledger you know if if they had a space where they could talk about what was actually going on in their head would they still be here with us Ooh, that's deep man yeah that is that's the basis of the name for my podcast Let's talk about it. Yeah. All right, my friend. I will talk to you soon. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Bye.